Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is sponsored by Freedom Mortgage, dedicated to veterans and your homeownership needs. Visit freedommortgage.com forward slash CBS Vets, NMLS 2767, Equal Housing Lender. Challenges. It's one of the things that I hear the most about when I go around and talk to the veterans. Problems. Veteran homelessness, which is an issue that you have to deal with. Issues. Dramatic cuts to social safety net programs. It's not about how we react to them. It's about how we deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it. Welcome to another episode of Deal With It. I'm Caitlin Kenny. I recently spoke to Stephanie Howard, a documentary filmmaker, about her new movie, The Weight of Honor. The film focuses on the lives of caregivers over five years as they deal with the challenges of caring for their severely wounded veteran. Can you give me a little bit about your your background? Sure. I I have a degree in broadcast journalism uh, from the American University in Washington, D.C. Put a plug in there for the school. And I have always worked in... TV and radio news, and I did that for something like 25 years. And that naturally progressed into working on documentaries because, as many of you may know, if you watch TV, the stories are pretty short. You don't get more than a couple minutes at the most. I was finding stories that were more involved than that and needed more attention. So I progressed to working on documentaries. Great. And um, how did you get into learning more about military caregivers? Well, it's interesting because I don't come from a military family. My dad was in the service during the Korean War, but um, I, I was that was before I was even born, and he did he was not deployed. As a civilian, I had met some wounded veterans, and they were part of a program that I attended hosted by a friend of mine who also has a nonprofit. And she and I were talking not long after that, and I had told her I'm so impressed by these service members and so impressed by what they've been able to accomplish. And I know there's a story here, but I don't feel like I have anything new to tell. Is there something else in this area that you think has been underserved? as far as information. And she said, well, no one's done anything about the caregivers. And at first I thought to myself, well, doctors and nurses? And she said, no, that's not it at all. It's the families, the wives and the husbands and the sisters and brothers and especially the children. And I thought about it and started to do some research and it was really true. These stories had not been told at all. And just as I was surprised, and even speaking to people in the civilian audience, they don't know about it either. Even five years later, people don't know about the story of the caregivers. Hmm. And um, 
how did you find these families and, um, you know, gain their trust? I mean, these are pretty intimate moments um, in the film. It wasn't easy to find the families who wanted to be in the film. I needed to go and join some of the groups or watch some of the groups on Facebook because it seems as though most of the caregivers really connect with one another that way. And as I got to know some of the nonprofits and reached out to some of the leaders of those nonprofits, I introduced myself, told them what I was doing, and asked them if they were able to connect with some caregiver families. And sometimes it took a few weeks and sometimes a few months, and I would follow up and they would connect to some people and let me know. Uh, I will never, ever, ever cold call someone to be on a program or to be on one of my documentaries. I think that's inappropriate, especially when we're looking at something as personal and as intimate as caregiving. So I only would phone families who had said, yes, we'd like to speak with Stephanie. We'd like to be part of this film. We think it's important that people know that there are caregivers and know about what we have to cope with. Mm. And um, so once you uh, were invited by the family to come follow them, kind of what, um, what was like your, your, your initial focus? Was it was it on their relationship together? Was it on the injury? It seems like it's been over years and you've, you follow multiple families um, through their progress, through recovery, and also their relationship. You know, it's interesting because I constantly was saying it has to be about the caregivers. And we would do interviews and we would visit with them as couples and as family members. Uh, but we had to really focus on what the caregivers were going through if we were going to tell their story. So we focused on that. Uh, I really, truly thought this was only going to take us about a year and a half. As a filmmaker, I needed to be aware that the most important rule is to follow the story. So if we started with interviews with some of these families and then we saw changes in their lives and in the arc of their family stories. We needed to follow that. Um, we started thinking, oh, the film's only going to take us about a year and a half to do. Just show that there are caregivers and boom, that's the end of the film. But what we kept hearing is it's not that simple. And their lives were changing sometimes dramatically. And we needed to include that into the film because that was part of the story. Mm. And um, one of the caregivers, Catherine Harris, um, one of the, her uh, statements that really stood out to me was that she said, you know, she didn't have any training for, for caring for her husband. You know, he, he went off to war. You know, they were married. It's, you know, typical marriage. And then he gets severely injured. And then she's kind of uh, given the responsibility to take care of an adult male who has had a traumatic injury and she's just like I was totally unprepared to to deal with that it was very um I think it got really right to the point of kind of the uphill battle that they face when they find out about um their loved one getting hurt so bad yes Catherine was one told me something that I thought was really profound Catherine said that the military will train you and they will inform you and they will prepare you for the unfortunate fact if, if your loved one is killed while they're deployed. But they don't really 
prepare you for a catastrophic injury. And that started her at ground zero. She didn't have anything that she could fall back on as far as what to expect. And that was the same for all of these caregivers. Some of them received a certain amount of training while their loved ones were in the hospital. But for the most part, when their loved one came home, they were the ones who had to do the care. And it's very involved, especially if you look at burn victims. It's very, very, very involved. And it would take really all of their time, day and night. And I think that was what really got to them the most. That and the fact that really all of them have families and the fact that they needed to care for their families and it was difficult it was a difficult position. Do I go to my husband, my son, and try to be with him all the time, or do I take care of the rest of my family? It's it's a really difficult balancing act. Right. And a lot of, most of the families were very young, um, either uh, had small children or one of them, she was pregnant when she found out her husband got injured. So film also talked about how, you know, they're, they are so young when they get injured and then they have, you know, the rest of their lives where they're dealing with these injuries. I mean, it could be like 50 years. And I was just like, wow, like the the amount of time just thinking about that and how long they would have to deal with the, the injuries and then um, that relationship and just every day, take it one day at a time. That's very true. I'm thinking back on some of the families and several of them are in a better place now because they've been able to move ahead with their lives outside of the injury. And they've been able to, they know what's going on. They understand things better. They understand the degree of the injury better. But it's also very true that we're looking at a unique situation where these families are very, very young. You talk about, you know, someone who goes and into the military, they've been deployed, they've maybe been married a year or less, maybe two years. Like you said, some of them were pregnant when their husbands were deployed. And that's where it really becomes an issue. What do you do with this baby? What do you do with these young children when you also have to really become a nurse to your husband? And the fact that it is going to go on in their lives for decades is going to be significant. How is that going to impact on the lives of these small children? What are they going to be like when they're older and they have children of their own? What's that situation going to be like? Of course, we don't have those answers, really. Um, I don't think any studies have been done on children emotionally on children of Vietnam vets. I can't speak to that. But this is a different kind of war. In this war, we had the kinds of wounds coming back that would have been fatal in other wars. We have all these medical advances where we can save the injured in the field and get them to, say, a major hospital in Landstuhl, um, very, very quickly, and and Lanchdale, they get them out to the United States as quickly as they can. 
So we're seeing catastrophic injuries that really young children haven't grown up with in the past. Right. And um, the statistic at the beginning of the movie said that um, it's 1.1 million family caregivers of post 9-11 veterans. And I didn't realize it had been that many. And, you know, that was the most recent information that we had. There is another study that's coming out that will be more accurate. I think, well, it's obviously going to be much higher. When you look at all wars, we have five and a half million caregivers. That's what we know about. Uh, I think that there are a lot of military families where maybe this service member who's now a veteran doesn't realize he has PTSD or the spouse or the parents don't really understand what's going on. And so those people are caregivers and may not realize it, and those numbers aren't counted. Right. Um, were you surprised about the amount of um, care that the, the spouses and the uh, family members had to give to the service members on their own, that there wasn't you know, some type of system where the VA or the, D, the Department of Defense would come in and, and take care of them in those months and years after to help with whatever um, issues they had, you know, getting around and bathing and, and feeding? It's interesting that we spoke to at least a few families where the VA had offered to bring in a nurse to help with some of the care, the bathing and the changing of bandages and all of that. But on at least two occasions, the vets, the service members said, no, I don't want someone else taking care of me. I want my wife to be taking care of me because it's a very intimate process. Well, the problem with that is that it puts the spouse in a position where she's a nurse. And that really is conflicting with the fact that they have a romantic relationship. And that can be really difficult. I, I think what I heard from at least one of the families that is probably five or six years out from injury say that they should have done it that way. They should have brought in a nurse. They should have had someone else come in and do the bandage changing and the bathing and that kind of thing. But when you're in the middle of all this, how can you look that far ahead and really know that that's what you need? Right. And I've, I've talked to the um, Dole Foundation before, and I, I asked, you know, the caregivers, you know, they seem very isolated, that this is such a traumatic event on the family, and there's not probably many people within the military community near them or even in the, within their own family who understands what's happening. So d did you see that? Did you see that if, if they were isolated or were they actually trying to reach out to groups and, and online to try to find camaraderie about what they were experiencing? When I first started the film five years ago, I saw that there was a lot of isolation among the caregivers. And this was really when the Elizabeth Dole Foundation was first getting started with their program where they were doing the best they could to help caregivers connect and to get legislation in Congress that would help them, uh, help the caregivers get some financial assistance. So... I saw that change a little bit, but you're right. A lot of these caregivers are in isolated areas. Uh, I see a lot, even now, that the wounded, 
the injured veterans really don't want to have anything to do with their families. A lot of it because their families may say, okay, it's, it's been seven or eight years now. Can you get over it? You know, can you get past this already? And the service member, the veteran is saying, no, and I can't deal with this. And then that puts it on the caregiver to say, okay, we're going to have to stay away from these family members because they don't understand and it's become a trigger as um, emotionally for both the caregivers and for the veterans, for the wounded veteran. So some of them have families that have really stepped up, but I found it really unsettling that I was hearing that part of the story so many times that the families were not part of the process. And a lot of it was because the wounded vets didn't want them there. So I, when we look at a civilian population, I don't think we see that very often. But maybe that's my observation. I don't know. Right. You, you talked about how the VA did offer some of the caregivers um, some assistance with, uh, you know, nurse care. But it did seem... Um, that some of them also still struggled with, um, you know, getting appointments or getting the um, prosthesis they needed. And, and it took, you know, sometimes months or years to, to kind of, they had to constantly advocate on their behalf um, to, to get these improvements, to, to get people to help them and, and try new things um, to improve their lives. Did you see that a lot with the caregivers, that they were constantly not only having to work with the, the injury, but they had to constantly work with the bureaucracy of, of medical care? Every single person we interviewed and every single person I read about on social media has had to struggle with getting what they need from the VA, whether it be appointments, prosthesis, um, respite care, uh, funding for a particular issue. Every single person has had to deal with that. And it's very, very difficult. Uh, There are especially big problems in the area of emotional needs. There just aren't enough facilities. There isn't enough, um, there aren't enough programs that can really help those with PTSD and, and traumatic brain injury, TBI. And some of these injuries can be really, really frightening. And to be told that, no, we don't have a program and maybe in six months just isn't going to work. Having a caregiver who is an advocate can make all the difference between a wounded veteran who can stay at home and who can get the help that they need or being a wounded veteran who's on the streets. Because if you don't have an advocate going through all this paperwork, all of these issues, all the multiple roadblocks that are put up, then you're just not going to make it. You're going to end up on the street and you're going to end up with problems with alcohol or drug abuse because you don't know how to cope. That's, it's always upsetting to hear that even though you you, I mean my husband was in the army and you know you you just trying to get certain care too it's just you always had to keep asking 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 you think that for people who are you know caregivers for 
are most wounded that they shouldn't have to go through all these hurdles, it, especially after 16 years of war. You know, you would think that it would be easier for them to go up and like, I need this. And then the VA or whoever they're working with says, you got it. It's just not happening. And producing the weight of honor, I saw in many instances that it's obvious the VA doesn't have enough resources, either in manpower or in money or the number of clinics or any of those things to really take care of our veterans. And look at the fact that the veterans who were in Vietnam are an aging population. They're the baby boomers who are now you know, older and, and have more things going on with them physically and need more assistance. And then on top of that, you have these catastrophically wounded post-9-11 vets coming in, and the system is just overwhelmed. And it's something that, you know, our legislators and we as a people need to address because if we're really grateful to these service members who have put their lives on the line physically, literally, to protect us. We need to do something more than just shake their hand or throw a parade or have them come out and throw the first pitch, although I think that's great. But we need to show that we are very supportive of them and and their families. Let's get the whole family out there and throw the pitch. I mean, Everyone needs to know that there's a family behind that wounded service member who is that is also wounded and that is trying to get better. And we'll do as much as we can on the civilian side, but we really, really need a better system through the VA as well. I like that there was like it was like snapshots of their lives. Uh, and then you had officials talking about, you know, the the needs of these caregivers, how you know, our society doesn't really understand kind of what's happening, that this, this is even an, an issue um, when when military come home. You know, you see them come off the bus and everyone's happy. But for these families, you know, these wars impact them so much. Do you see, um, you know, through, through this process, did you see um, anything that you feel like more could be done? at the VA or the DOD or even within, you know, American society to help these caregivers and these families? One of the big reasons I produced the weight of honor is because I wanted the civilian population to know that these people are here living with us. They're here and they need our help. And you can't just go up and say, oh, anytime you need me, give me a call. No, mm -mm, that's not working because the automatic response is always going to be, uh, no, I'm okay. The best thing anyone can do on an individual basis is to say something like, look, I'm making dinner and I'm going to have enough for two families. I'd like to bring it over at X time and then make a plan and bring it over. One of the interesting things I heard actually from a couple people where they were saying, well, so-and-so said they were going to mow my lawn um, once a month, and I haven't seen them really for three months. There's no sense in that. Mm -hmm. Make a plan with a couple friends. Say, okay, we'll come and we'll mow your lawn every two weeks for between now and the end of the year. I mean, then everybody is feeling like they've contributed. 
And it helps that family so much because if it's a mother who's trying to take care of her little kids and her husband physically isn't capable of mowing the lawn, where does that put her? Where she has to hire someone and she really doesn't have that much money? So there are things like that. I know they sound really small, but they can mean a lot. And I'm encouraging anyone to see the, who sees the film to reach out through, say, even their churches or synagogues or mocks or temple and, and look at their congregations. Okay, do we have people within this congregation who might be wounded service members, even if they have emotional wounds that we may not know about? Who are those people? How can we help them? How can we reach out to them? Just as we would anyone in our congregation who might need a little boost up. And then in communities at large, if communities could maybe bring the film in, do screenings, and we're available to do that, and reach a broader audience so that more people learn that we have caregivers who are military caregivers, and they're among us, and they need our help. They really do. And yes, we're very proud of the service members who've come back. We're so proud of them, and we owe so much to them, but just as much we owe to their families, because right now they're picking up the slack, and they're the ones who are carrying the weight, like we say, the weight of honor. Right. How has this, um, you know, time with these families, how has it impacted your life personally? That's interesting. Um, How... The film has helped me become, obviously, number one, more aware of the subject. I I really didn't know what these families were going through. It has also impacted me in that I've become friends with these people. If you're a news reporter or a news producer, as I was, you kind of keep your subjects at arm's length. You really don't get involved with them, mostly because you don't have that much time to be with them. But I can count these people as my friends, and I, I think it's safe to say they feel the same way about me. One other interesting thing is, I, don't, I, I think this has to do with seeing the movie. I am having trouble seeing films that have a lot of war-related scenes, a lot of battle, a lot of violence. And I didn't realize that until I saw a film and thought it was fine and it was a good movie. And then about 15 minutes later, I just broke down in tears. Broke down. And I think it's because of what I've seen as the aftermath of what people look like when they're injured. The one other time that I really broke down was when we were working on the sound mixing and I was in a room that where it's surround sound. You know, it's not just coming out of the TV or the monitor. And I could hear how one of the interviewees really broke down during the interview and was very upset emotionally. And I had the audio tech stop. I said, look, can you stop just a minute? I need to collect myself. And he stopped the film. He stopped the audio. And I just bent over and I sobbed. And I was a little embarrassed, to say the least, but... I think it's because they've just touched me so profoundly. Right. 
and I, that's kind of what I was thinking was that, I mean, these, these families, you know, I just feel like um, what they've gone through, like anyone who watches it will be very touched to, to kind of see them try, you know, their best to, um, you know, just deal with, with life in general, you know, having family, having kids, but also having to help someone they love and who's changed so much because of an injury. Um, but I also feel like the, the spouses, you know, they always tried their hardest to, um, you know, dig deep, I guess. There were definitely emotional parts where there was, you know, I'm really tired and exhausted with all of this, but still trying, you know, every day kind of taking it um, one day at a time to, um, to make the best of it which I thought was really encouraging for people to see. There wasn't all just, oh, God, this is the rest of my life. It's like, especially um, with one of them who had um, a serious brain injury, and then he, um, later in the film, he, you know, became more active, was hanging out with his family more, was rock climbing with his son. I thought that was a really great um, turn for him to, to, to see him move on a little bit. When people see the film... We would really like them to walk out of there realizing that the caregivers are quite resilient. They're very brave. They're very inspiring. And if you see the film and you walk out of there with that sense and knowing that these are ordinary people, these this is anybody I would know from anywhere, and that, okay, if they can succumb this, if they can take it day to day, if they can keep going, then what I'm going through is also valid and I can take inspiration from these caregivers and I can power through it myself. It's really important for those of us who've worked on the Weight of Honor to help get the message out there. Uh, It's really important for us that it's seen by as many people as possible so that we can get as many people as possible involved in helping the caregivers as individuals, maybe helping on a legislative level when there is legislative up that might be supporting caregivers. And now there is legislation for helping caregivers of all wars. Uh, the Elizabeth Toll Foundation is very involved in that. The Disabled American Veterans is involved in that, multiple organizations. But I think the most important thing we want to have out there is the message. We want the message out there that you can do this. These are people who are inspiring. They're not going to let themselves be rolled over, not by any chance. And we want as many people as possible to see the weight of honor so that they can look at the intimate lives of caregivers and perhaps take away some understanding of their own. Thank you so much for, for talking with me. I I learned a lot and it was great to, to talk with you about this movie and, and, and your work to bring uh, more attention to the needs of caregivers and their families. I'm so glad to be on, on connect vets. I'm so glad that you watched the film and you really see spot on what we're trying to accomplish. And it's been an honor. It's, it's been an honor to meet all of these people, for them to welcome me into their homes. Really, I don't know that I would do it, but it, 
They are honorable people, and the reason they're doing it is they want the rest of the world to know what it's like to be a caregiver to a wounded vet. You can learn more about the film at theweightofhonormovie.com, and you can also get the movie on Amazon and iTunes. For Deal With It, I'm Caitlin Kenny. I'll talk to you again on ConnectingVets.com. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.